Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello everyone, my name's Fergal Armstrong and once again, welcome. Welcome today to this MedHead show wherein we have Anita Fletcher from Standard Medical Careers. Hello again, Anita, how are you? Hi, I'm really well. Thanks, Fergal. Good to see you again. Thanks for coming back. That's always a positive. So thank you. We off air we have discussed the fact that we are quite interested, both of us, in what happens in this in the in the interview process, the job interview. Now, I personally dread them, both as an interviewee and also as an interviewer. So I thought that it would be really useful today to try and demystify some of the core elements of what has to happen in, in an interview. So in no particular order of importance, what would you describe as the things to think about even before you've set, set foot into the room, the night before? What, what would you think about? Okay, the night before. I'm, well, first of all, I really recommend that people don't leave it till the night before to start preparing right. for their interview. The month before then. Yeah, uh, arguably even possibly a few months before, um, depending, of course, on what the interview is and how much notice people have. But And sometimes people get very short notice, so it's all the more reason to be prepared well in advance. And uh, what I really re recommend is that people really have their heads around the job and what's required of them. Um, but also really have their story ready. What what do people want to know when they meet someone in the interview? They want to find out information about them, particularly information that isn't necessarily available on their CV or their application. They want to meet the person. They want to get a sense of what they're like and they want mm. to hear, okay, where have you come from and what is it that you want to be doing? What are your goals for the future? So that's a very interesting point to start off with because I've read a lot of CVs and I've written a lot of CVs. And one of my personal frustrations is that it's when I've when I've attended interviews, it's obvious that the interviewers haven't read my CV, or at least I think it is. You know, are they asking me questions on about my CV because they're just trying to fill space, or are they do they or they have they not read my interview my, my CV? What what do you think about that? Well, I think whilst we hope that people have read the CV, I generally recommend to people to bear in mind that the interview panellists may not have read it or remember everything that's yeah. on it. Mm. Um, so it's really important for people to bring to the interview um, the explanation of the points that they really want to highlight from their CV and and. And if people do remember it, great, and it triggers their memory. Uh, mm. So essentially I sort of think, yes, assume that they haven't read it or they don't remember it anymore, so it's your job yeah. to convey those. All right. So it's not really inappropriate then, from what I'm hearing, to, to actually go over parts of your CV as if the interview panel hasn't read your CV. That's perfectly reasonable, isn't it? That's what you're saying. That's, that's exactly right. 
So just as your CV contains elements of your story, your professional story, mm. certain events, um, a list of sort of skills uh, and other activities that you've done that prepare you and position you as the best candidate, your interview should, responses should include reference to those as well. All right. That's often a difficult question. You know, why do you think you're the best person for the job? And, you know, I sometimes think, well, I'm probably not the best. I'm, I'm probably good enough for the job. You know, you know, I'm sure that someone might be better than me. You know, do you, but you know, if you actually said that in, inter in an interview, how do you think that would go down? Yeah. <laughs> That's what not to say in an interview. <laughs> you, really to to, you really have to present yourself as the best person. They know that. For starters, every they know you would they wouldn't have a list of candidates. Everyone who's invited to interview, they know that yeah. they've got the skills and the qualifications and the experience that um, qualify yeah. them yeah. for that position. So then it's a matter of uh, shortlisting further and further until finally they meet the candidate who they say, well, not only do they have everything that everybody else has got, but they've got more and we particularly like them. And that's mm. what is the opportunity but, for interview. You've said the key word, and I've said it, I've heard it said elsewhere, the only point of an interview is to work out if you think you're going to like someone. Mm. So that that's a very dangerous statement, isn't it? Because it's it's... It, I think it, it, it validates my belief, and maybe you'll disagree with this, it validates my belief that the interview process is an entirely subjective waste of time. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, well, that's where we disagree, actually. I think it's yeah. incredibly important. I think, as we men uh, mentioned in our last discussion, this is yeah. the opportunity for humans to assess each other and, yeah. and, you know, I use the term like kind of loosely because I think there's a lot more to it than whether they know, all of the panellists necessarily like that uh, candidate and there is an element of like and an element of how will they fit into our culture and work with our, our people. And, again, it it also depends on the context. So, for example, you know, we're, we're talking about interviews very broadly here, but, you know, it, it depends on, on the situation, of course. So a, a specialty uh, college interview, you know, that whole style of interviewing is different to a regular, I'm applying for a job in a private practice or I'm applying for a job within a department in a hospital. They're, they're different, but essentially if the people can't meet you, um, that that makes it in, even harder for them to distinguish between other people. So that's why I always say to people to try and go to that interview in person if it is a face-to-face -face interview. And, of course, they've become uh, rarer in recent times. So if there is an opportunity to appear in person and be in the same room with with other with the recruiters interview panel take that opportunity and actually also what you can do in the lead up to the interview is try and go in and meet the team or at least the person one of the key decision makers and a lot of consultants do that they they ask if they can go in and meet and, and meet a few people and have a look around. And that is very much all about 
that's an informal interview process really because that head of department's going to be asking the other team members, well, what did you think as soon as you've left? Exactly. What did you think? It's a subjective mm. exercise, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually, the last interview that I didn't get, right, I actually spent uh, some time trying to track down the key players in, in, this, in this job and I went to meet them. And I thought I got on swimmingly well with them and I went into the interview full of bravado thinking, oh, this is in the bag, and I didn't get the job. I was absolutely gutted. You know, mm. so, that, so, you know, that further reinforced to me the idea that, you know, if you want to go and hobnob with the interviewers beforehand, you know, is, that, is that a valid exercise? <laughs> it is a valid exercise if you're allowed to do it. And, right. you know, there could be any number of reasons why you didn't get that job. They yeah, might have yeah. thought you were so well qualified and the best person to work with but oh, they possibly already offered it to <laughs> someone else and that that's a bit of a minefield as well that they've already yeah. got the person put in yeah, their they, mind they and they're they going want. through yes mm, they're going yeah, through the yeah. uh, you know the ropes so what I'm hearing from our discussion so far today is it's really important in your own mind to get the key points of your own biography ready and ready to go. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it's really important to try and actually do a face-to-face -face and also do some hobnobbing beforehand. That's a fair summary of what we've talked about so far. Yes, so in terms... Mm. Okay. In terms of question types... What other kind of questions that we can we can expect? What, how would you classify okay. them? I'd classify them so the there's a very commonly asked question is tell us about yourself. And some people say, oh, that's an icebreaker. They'll ask that, but it's not a real question. And to me, that is the arguably one of the most important questions in the interview. Right. Uh, because if you do that well, if you prepare a really impressive response in the, to that question, you've, you've, you're getting people on side from the first few minutes. And if you get their attention, you're, you're well in front. Uh, so that's your opportunity to really impress them in the first, say, two minutes, make that about a two-minute response often. Um, and that also contains obviously some information about your background. Uh, so they might ask further background questions as well. And, and by that, I mean, you know, what motivated you to apply for medicine? What motivated you to apply for this role? Why do you want to work with us? Why do you want to, um, pursue this area, this particular specialty. So that's finding out, you know, your background. Um, and then another type of question is the sort of behavioural style interview question, which everyone will be familiar with the words, tell us a time when you did this. <laughs> yeah. So if you have, are preparing for your interview the night before, uh, mm. you're not going to have many of those examples fresh in your mind. Mm. And so that's why and another reason amongst many other reasons and that I recommend starting earlier. And actually my, my advice for the night before is try and relax and switch off and do something else and don't mm. be 
cramming last minute about the interview, relax and get a good night's sleep um, mm. and and make sure that everything's in place for the next day, that you are going to get to that interview on time. So whatever, they should be the last minute things so that you're feeling relaxed and calm, not you know, stressing over your script of what what you're going to say for each particular question. Right. So, I mean, the the dreaded "tell us about a time when" question. I think that des- I think that deserves an entirely separate single episode. But mm-hmm. you've must have sat on thousands of interviews in your in your background. So, just remind us what your background is. So I was working in um, a number of different businesses and and in very sort of operational um, time critical roles in, you know, starting out in the broadcast industry. And uh, and I have sat on many interviews. I then, you know, went into human resources and, and I've hired a lot of people. I've interviewed a lot of people. I've sent a lot of CVs and then, through my work um, as a career coach working with the AMA and now my own business, I've interviewed many people who've come to me for the, the practice questions. Um, so one question style that I don't often ask of doctors because I'm not a doctor is the clinical questions. And most of them actually, most of the people that come to me don't um want help with that anyway they sort of feel that they've got that covered and and they can handle that so it's quite interesting that the the things that they want help with are these other types of questions because Mm. i think often they they really fear the dreaded question as well yes Yes. there's nothing that (laughs) you know everybody fears that dreaded question because there's always the unknown but you yeah. can prepare for that as well um, by, would you like to hear how? I certainly would. Yes, please. Okay, great. <laughs> so the way that I think about the dreaded question is know what your dreaded question is. So if you're terrified about somebody asking you, uh, if you could be a particular type of animal, what would it be? Uh, think of an answer for that. Or if oh, I know is, exactly. I know exactly I'll what I am. I'll yeah. Learn. What's that? I'm, I'm a hybrid of an elephant and a tiger. Okay, excellent. And why? Yeah. Well, they're my favorite animals. Um, <laughs> but an elephant is methodical uh, with a good memory, and a tiger can, can jump from one thing to another and does different things. Okay. And it's solitary also. A tiger is quite solitary, used to kind of making decisions on, their, on his or her own. Mm-hmm. Good. What kind of animal are you? So so I take it, Fergal, you've been asked that question before? No, never. That's the first time I've ever ever been asked that question. I've always identified with these animals because I know I've always kind of thought that, you know, if I ever was an animal, that's what I would be. Well, Mm. see, you're a fantastic interviewee. (laughs) Uh, Oh, I tell you what. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, and I've, I've done some awful interviews in my time, don't you worry. What animal are you? Uh, well, I think I, I'm, I'm quite interested in birds and I like the idea of freedom. And, and again, like you, I like to make my own decisions. Uh, I can be a bit solitary, but I also enjoy being a part of a flock. Um, and, uh, 
and I like the the sense that birds uh, aren't limited in terms of where where they can be. So right. I'll say right. bird. So can I just push that a little bit further? What kind of bird are we talking? Like a flamingo, an albatross, a chaffinch, or an eagle, or a peregrine falcon? You know, it's <laughs> okay. Or a sparrow. <laughs> Or a sparrow. I'm not a sparrow. I'm no sparrow. I'm quite tall, so I'll, I'll go the albatross. Actually, you're an albatross. Yeah, floating on the floating on the the currents of the tides in the sea, never sleeping. Right. Albatrosses don't sleep for months. Okay, well I do sleep, mm. so ever okay. vigilant. <laughs> yes. All right. So so just. You're, what I mean, this has been a bit of fun, but in all seriousness, you're telling me that that question has been asked of people. Is that right? Yes, I think it's it's typically the type of question that's asked more of the the medical students. However, the type of question is that disarming, unexpected question. So, right. I've also heard that come in the form of, if you had been, if there, if you were on your way to the interview today. And there yeah. was a car accident and you were going to be delayed by two hours. What would you have done? So well, that's heard... an easy question for me. But okay, what, right. what have you heard first? What have you so heard? I've heard that asked um, for registrars applying for, you know, training programs. So the, the point of the question really is about being an unexpected type of question and it's, it's to watch how the person reacts to that. Yeah. I mean, to me, from uh, speaking as a, as, a, as a doctor, if I, I, I am legally obliged to attend any accident, oh, yeah. you know, I don't have a choice. So to me, it's a really easy question. You have to attend the accident. You have to give aid uh, to the extent of your capabilities. Now, you know, as a general practitioner who specializes in uh, mental health issues and as an addiction specialist, uh, I'd probably sit them down and give them a cup of tea and say, there, there, you poor thing, I'll phone triple zero for you. But, you know, if I was a cardiothoracic surgeon uh, or a trainee and someone had a big gaping chest wound, I would have to actually, you know, do what I could do. So mm. I don't see how ethically and legally you could answer that question any other way. Well, you know, I'd forfeit the interview. Mm. But that, is that the answer that you were expecting? Not necessarily, but I think it's a very helpful response, actually, for, for anyone out there listening to this who might uh, be asked that question mm. in the future. Yeah. So, so let's go back to the animal question. I just want to talk a little bit more about that. You said that it was more used to you know, embarrass medical students. Not to embarrass them. Of course not. Of course but, not. We don't embarrass no, I have heard yeah. that question, to disarm them. <laughs> disarm them. All right, in an embarrassing way. But anyway, what value does it give? What, what insight does it give people? What's the value so, of that question? I think it is because it is the, this out-of-the-box, unexpected question that somebody can't necessarily prepare for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that question could come again. The unexpected question, unanticipated question could come up in... Mm -hmm. A number of ways um, that that most people wouldn't be able to expect and prepare for. So they want to see you in action. They want to see the mm. candidates' responses to the unexpected, and not not have to sit through uh, a, a series of candidates coming in all day, 
giving their well-prepared responses. They want to see uh, how someone reacts when the unexpected happens. So really what you're saying is that this question alleviates the boredom of the interview panel. Well, maybe... This goes back to my theme that I think interviews are shit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, but there's also, you know, a, more of a reason behind that because it's showing them how someone thinks on their feet. Right, and how right. calm they can maintain their composure, how calmly they yeah, can maintain yeah. them, their composure when they're put under pressure. Because, you know, and some people, some people would really freeze up when they're asked a question that they're not expecting because so many people suffer from quite serious nervous anxiety when they're, when they're going into an interview situation. Mm. On that subject, I mean, that's a useful segue into the idea of do you take anything to relieve your anxiety before an interview? What would you say to that? Well, you're the Dr. Fergal. Uh, I would say no, actually. I, yeah. would, I, I always go for the glass of water and good night's sleep, preparation and practice mm. beforehand, yeah. a deep breath, and, and as we said before, preparing for the questions, particularly the questions that make you feel quite uncomfortable and you're not sure about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that you need to learn how to manage your stress non-pharmaceutically. Um, otherwise, you'll end up taking too much booze or you'll have a hangover or you, you'll take some Valium and, or you'll have some propranolol and you'll faint or something. It just it's a, it's a no-no. You need to learn how to deal with that stress or that mm. medication. That's my medical opinion. Another question I was once asked, where, well, this is when I was working in um, the United Kingdom. How many zebras are there in Australia? Mm. Interesting. That was interesting. No, I, I basically answered that. I mean, to me, that my interpretation of that question was basically it doesn't really matter what I come up with. But they wanted, the interviewers wanted to work out if I could make some kind of cognitive estimate, you know, some kind of rationale. So, you know, how many cities are there in Australia that mm. I knew of? And each city has got how many zoos and how many zebras are there in any zoo? Yeah, so that's how I worked that one out. But yeah, that, that can throw people up. Now, going back to the fact that we've already described, you've already described your extensive experience in interviewing, and we've already introduced a couple of questions. I'm curious, do you feel able to disclose to us some examples of horrendous mistakes that have been made in response to some of these questions that we've discussed? Okay. Well, I think the the biggest mistake is people freezing up and not providing a response at all and letting their no nerves overtake them. So when I work with people, I try and coach them to deal with that moment of terror. Uh, but, you know, that can be a difficult situation for them. In terms of specific examples, I must say nothing really comes to mind at the moment. And there you are. You've put me on the spot. But but in term but but in terms of the preparation and the example I was talking or the situation I was speaking about before about making sure that you've got everything ready and you're as calm as you can be on the interview day, I will tell you about a client of mine who I was working with last year. She was really nervous about interviewing um, and she was applying for advanced trainee positions and 
we worked together over the course of a few weeks and, and I watched her improving. When it came to the interview day, I was quite horrified afterwards when she said to me, I didn't know that I was even going to make it on time because I spent the morning going over my practice, my notes, and then I lost track of the time and realised 10 minutes before the interview was due to start that I hadn't had a shower and changed. And then so I quickly did that and then I came in and you can imagine the tensions building. She's becoming more flustered and panicking and then she couldn't find the email that contained the link for the meeting. Uh, So I was listening to this thinking, you did not do that to yourself. Uh, and so she said that she finally finally found the link, went into the room, and she thought she still had a few minutes, but all of the panellists were there ready to go. And they said, oh, it's great you're here because we're running ahead of time. Let's get started. <laughs> are, you, are you ready? And, uh, and oh, somehow she, she got through it. Um, yeah. And she got the position, so she did very well under the circumstances. But this is what I try, what I'm trying to say: don't don't do that to yourself. Give yourself every mm. chance of success that you possibly can for these important yeah. interviews, because you know those opportunities might not come around again. With in, in the case of college interviews, you've got one crack every 12 months at this um, and you've only got three three attempts on for some of the, the training programs. So mm. I don't need to sort of point yeah. out how important that is to get right. And then other opportunities come up, you know, and I've worked with some very senior doctors and they've, they've said to me, well, that position comes around about once every five years. So, of course, I'm going to give it everything I've got. Yeah. So prepare, Mm. get your biography right, get your presentation of who you are, understand your motivation and be able to answer that question, why do you want this job? And be prepared for the unexpected. We've run out of time, sadly, Anita, once again. But I'd love to chat to you again with about some of the really horrific questions, the behavioral questions that doctors really don't like answering. So Mm -hmm. I look forward to being able to chat with you about that in the near future. But for today, thank you very much for your time. Sure. Thank you. That's all for today's MedHeads. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.